the latest episode of the Tech UK podcast, looking at the impact of COVID-19 on tech SMEs. In this podcast, we'll explore the effects of the pandemic on SMEs, the difficulties faced, and how they've responded, adapted, and looked to recover. I'm delighted to welcome two excellent guests to the podcast today. Joining us, we have Zoe Cunningham, Director at Softwire, and Tarquin Follis, Vice Chairman of Reliance ATSM. Perhaps starting with yourself, Zoe, It'd be great if you were able to introduce yourself and maybe let our listeners know a little about what Softwire do. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, I'm a director at Softwire. Um, I've actually worked my whole career at Softwire. I started as a graduate um, coder uh, back in 2000. Um, And when I joined, I was the ninth employee. And since then, we've grown by roughly 20% a year. And now we're 250 people. So it's been really interesting to see all the different stages of an SME, um, you know, kind of going from S to M, really. And, that, you know, when we were 10 people uh, or 20 people that had a very particular um uh, I guess, ambiance as a business, and now getting up over 200, suddenly uh, we find the challenges are very different and um, and we need to focus on different things. Um, so what we do at Software has also evolved over 20 years, um, but the core of it is the same. So we um, consult around and build and support um, bespoke software and data systems. So you might work with software to build a uh, a large um, system, central system that's going to manage your data and connect with other systems. Um, or we might help you build a prototype that's going to help you serve your clients in a in a new and exciting way. Um, or we might help you. Um, for example, look at the data that you've got and maybe help you to analyze that data and and maybe implement something like machine learning to be able to get more out of your data in the future. Thanks so much, Zoe. Great you've been able to join us today. And Tarquin, over to yourself. Thanks, Fraser, for inviting me to this. Um, And um, I'm the Vice Chairman of Reliance ACSN. Um, unlike Zoe, I have only been with Reliance seven months, I mean, since November last year. Uh, prior, most of my career, I spent in government service. Uh, and since retiring from government, I've worked in the tech sector, mainly for small and medium-sized enterprises, even starting my own business at one stage. Reliance ACN, ACSN is a um, is a small, a small to medium-sized company. We employ about 70 people. Uh, we're a pure breed cybersecurity company, so we're only interested in cybersecurity. We don't have any other uh, distractions. We are a vendor agnostic organization. We provide security as a managed service, and we provide the usual suite of uh, managed security service and managed detect and respond capability, as well as um, uh, professional services, pen testing, etc. And I suppose the, the what, what really attracted me to Reliance ACSM was its focus on the, the client. The client is absolutely key. So um, we spend a lot of time making sure that what we provide is something that feels seamless to the client uh, in terms in particular of the SOC services we provide so that they don't have to go through the hassle of um, purchasing their own SOC, keeping their own talent, We'll do that through our own. But at the same stage, we hope to provide a service which feels as good uh, and as comprehensive as an internal SOC. So that's where we come from. Thank you, Tarquin. 
great to have you on the podcast. So our first question is looking back some way to March of this year. What are the immediate effects that you noticed when lockdown was announced? Great question. Um, and for us, it started slightly before lockdown was announced because um, we start. I mean, we started with um, quarantine policies for employees who'd been travelling to uh, what were then high risk countries. And I think uh, definitely a few of us thought that maybe it would it would stay with those high risk countries and all we had to do was quarantine and it would be fine. Um, and then as we gradually realised that that wasn't going to be the case, um, we set up a four stage um, office lockdown um, process ourselves. Um, you know, a few weeks in advance of the government announcing anything. And that was really, really helpful for us because it meant that we could first make sure we had uh, kind of level four was like making sure we had tested all of our remote working systems that they could cope with 250 people suddenly working remotely. Um, and then stage three was to um, give people the option of anyone who was uh, at a high health risk themselves that, you know, Level three was everyone can work at home, no questions asked. Uh, then we, just before the lockdown, in fact, moved to level two. Uh, we would like to ask everyone to work at home unless there is a reason why you cannot. Um, and then shortly after that, we went to level one and completely closed the offices. So, yeah, it is a really good question. And I think it's a real, it was a real challenge. Um, Unlike quite a number of crises that occur to businesses, uh, first of all, this was one that affected everybody and you could see it coming quite a long way away. This was effectively a bit of a slow train crash. Um, and I think there were a number of businesses that kind of kept their heads in the sand and thought, well, this is going to blow over. Um, we were in a lucky position that uh, a lot of our, our staff work remotely anyway. Um, if we, you know, we're running a 24 7, 365 day uh, uh, system through our socks. And a lot of those guys, the analysts are working from uh, in the socks, but also from home. So we had the, the network, the capability to go to remote working pretty quickly. Um, <coughs> we, um, we really went into a lockdown, I suppose, in that week, beginning the 16th, when the Prime Minister, as I remember, I was driving from a meeting in Gloucester, um, made the announcement that uh, about what was happening. Um, and uh, we went into full lockdown, lockdown the following week when I guess the rest of the country did. And actually, it was pretty seamless since we had the capability out there to do so. So we didn't find it that disruptive. The other thing that I um, that I didn't cover, because obviously that's kind of almost physically what happened to us, but actually at the same time, we started doing some kind of emergency planning around what was going to happen to our business. So we, as as an SME, we it, it, as a uh, a kind of generalist software SME. We are most affected by general economic downturn rather than anything specific to do with lockdown or the pandemic. So for us, we were concerned that uh, clients would cancel contracts or reduce their spend and that the cumulative effect of that could be quite catastrophic for our business. So we immediately did a budget cutting exercise. We went through every line item in our budget and uh, cut everything we could. Um, and 
and that was kind of key for for planning to ride this out as well. Yeah, I agree with Zoe on that. Uh, there was a, a lot of planning, a lot of contingency views and some some uh, choices to be made by the board in particular around issues like who or how many people should be furloughed, um, what kind of what what kind of team we needed to keep the business going and actually growing because that was is still a, an issue. Um, and uh, you know what were the um, the kind of thing, people the number of people we could put in place just to keep the business surviving. Um, so those kind of contingency planning went on. Obviously, we were concerned that uh, the outlook. Who knows what? Who knew what was going to happen? Um, everybody was looking at their budgets. Everybody was looking at their programs, and suddenly the whole um, you know concept of things that have been put in strategically in place were were put on hold while people decided whether they could afford it or not. And I think that had a, a pretty big impact initially. Um, when we were looking at what what kind of impact is this going to have in our on our overall business? Thanks, Tarquin. So you both seem prepared for a possible lockdown scenario. Do you think that being an SME operating in the tech sector has been a factor in initially positioning you well to adapt? Absolutely. And something that we found that we were doing was also supporting our clients to transition to uh, a remote environment, uh, whether that was. Um, one client in particular who was not set up for remote working and couldn't access any of their servers and we had to kind of go through a, a very rapid process of, uh, of helping them to open those all up um, so that they could literally carry on what they were doing or whether it's um, another client we have a, a client who um, we, we weren't sure if if they would continue as our client, uh, which is David Lloyd Leisure Group. So they essentially run a large chain of, of gyms and leisure facilities across the country, and they went immediately to zero revenue. So you could see that there's an argument there for cutting all spends. They actually decided to do the opposite, and they doubled down on digital so that they could keep the clients that they had already uh, and not lose clients as a result of this, um, you know, this health crisis. So we work with them to help um, create uh, an online streaming service of their classes so that people could move to, um, you know, having a, a David Lloyd experience at home uh, while the gyms were closed. And that also is going to allow them to build on that going forward. So obviously, now gyms are open. They're moving to a, a more hybrid solution. And um, so actually, they really took the opportunity to to use this, this uh, situation to make their business stronger going forwards. When, when we were talking about remote working, um, certainly some of our people were used to doing that. There were a significant number who hadn't done it before. A lot of us were still, you know, we had an office in London, people went into that office. Um, and there were impacts on certain parts of the business. For example, um, in on penetration testing, our ability to carry out site visits, which is a part of it, obviously that didn't happen because uh, our clients didn't want us on site for obvious reasons. Um, uh, so, so that did uh, present some challenges for us. Um, also, on on areas like business development, you know, this ability to to communicate with other people, to to meet people, actually, that 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 has an impact on that as well. 
But one of the things that uh, was manifestly apparent to us is that that if this crisis had happened 10 years ago, I wonder how any business would have survived because the technology wasn't there to enable us to communicate. And one of the most important things we identified right from the start was to get our communications as a leadership team and out to the business um, as smooth and as consistent and as regular as possible. So despite lockdown and the move to remote working, internally, you feel that you've still been able to continue to communicate effectively? Fraser, I can I can say that I think in many ways we, we're communicating better now than we did before uh, the crisis. Um, we now have a, a leadership meeting every every day, um, which because it's the best way of making sure we're on top of what's going on in the business. Uh, we have uh, fortnight. We had initially weekly all hands meetings for all members of staff to explain what was going on. Uh, that went to fortnightly at the request of of staff, so we moved that on. And obviously, each team has its daily meeting to find out how things are going. And it, actually, this was important, not just in terms of the business, but also in terms of the mental welfare of our people, uh, because uh, maintaining that link uh, with them and understanding and finding out how they were, um, how resilient they were to strange these strange circumstances was really important for us. I'd say that we, we are definitely doing uh, more communication, <laughs> um, but the, it's definitely not as effective. So I think that there is a communication challenge and uh, and essentially the way to deal with any communication challenge is to communicate more. That's, that's my learning over 20 years. Um, one thing we're doing much better is that we did have, um, we have a few offices that are not, most of our employees are based in our London office and we have a few offices um, elsewhere. I've got one in Cambridge and one in Manchester. And uh, we have struggled to um, to not be London-centric. We've really struggled. And it's been something kind of on our radar. And we say, look, 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 make sure if we have a, an all-hands meeting, remember that there are people who are not in London and how does that work? Um, but it's it's just surprisingly hard to do when the majority of the people making the decisions are based in London. Um, it's so easy to forget people. And so for us, having to move to everyone remote has really improved our communication across the whole company. And I think that will stay with us, even if um, people move predominantly back to offices. Looking at how you've adapted and the lessons learned, moving forward with regards to remote working, do you think it's likely that you will adopt a similar structure in a post-COVID environment? It is quite interesting because I think that uh, we will change things, but also we will not change things in some ways. So we already had the option to work remotely and we had taken a decision as a business that uh, engineering teams perform better when they're co-located. So that for us meant people working in offices, but also where possible co-locating with our clients so that we can work together as a wider team um, to, to build the best possible software, um, essentially for communication reasons. So we still believe that and that hasn't changed as a result of everyone having to work remotely. So while we are able to work remotely, I think that um, uh, longer term, we may well 
uh, return to something more similar. But of course, uh, everything is still up in the air regarding the um, regarding the pandemic. It's certainly not over. So when that would be, uh, or whether that will ever be the case, um, we don't know. It's funny. I've, we discussed this the other day in an in another webinar, and um, we were asked whether uh, the office was dead, and we all concluded that uh, the demise of the office was overstated. Um, I agree with Zoe. I think um, obviously, first of all, we don't know where the pandemic is going, so we're still in a period of uncertainty. But uh, we have opened our office uh, to a limited extent in London. We have two offices. We have one in London. We have one in Gloucester. Um, and people are going back in there. And a, a large a large reason for that was was because there were people in London who actually wanted to go into the office, um, you know, the, uh, just to get a get some variety and some difference and maybe get away from f fairly claustrophobic environment. Um, and so we've we've uh, gone through all the process of making the, the place safe, etc. Uh, we recognise that uh, even if we go, if this continues, this trend continues about going back into the office, that it will be slightly different to where it was before, or significantly different, uh, because we're going to have to think about shift working to ensure that um, if one group of people gets contaminated, um, another group can continue. Uh, so these are natural safeguards that have to be built in in terms of our risk appetite. Uh, but um, the the office still is an important place. I, I think it will change in its function, actually, in some ways, because I think it will become a place where people want to go because they need to collaborate, rather than a place where they, they felt they had to go because that was written into their contract. So I think that that's going to have a, a possibly a change. But I don't think the uh, this bit about re remote working um, is is something that's going to be set in stone for the future. The next question is looking at the government's stimulus support package for SMEs. Generally, did you find the support package to be adequate? Yeah, absolutely. I can only answer from the point of view of software. Um, we took advantage of the government furlough scheme, and that was, in my opinion, an incredibly good scheme because it really took the pressure off having to decide whether redundancies were needed. And I think that's just a great position for um, employees who suddenly find that their particular job right now is not needed. So for example, we have a, um, a kitchen team who cook home-cooked lunches in the office every day. Um, with no one in the office, their, their job has, uh, is not required. Um, not that we don't obviously want to keep them longer term, but it's not required in the short term. So actually, the furlough scheme made it very easy for us to uh, retain those people and for for them to understand that their job is secure and that the money kind of isn't going to run out. Um, so the, the furlough scheme was great. And um, that was the only thing we took advantage of. And um, in general, as a business, we were trying to manage our we we keep uh, we watch our our cash like a hawk. So we are we are always very careful about cash flow and having a cash buffer. So for us, things like a loan were not um, were not going to address issues for us because we were looking at the overall uh, kind of viability of our business rather than um, cash flow issues. 
I'd again agree with Zoe. I mean, the um, the furlough scheme gave us an opportunity to. Uh, it, it was very. It was useful. Extremely useful. Um, we didn't furlough that many people. Um, and to be honest, um, we're in that strange position where um, you know our guys were pretty fully employed. What what we learned from the um, from our initial concern about whether we were going to you know what was the business going to be like was that after the initial shock where everybody went, every business went to kind of build up their uh, remote network, they suddenly found that there was a, there was a security issue. So in many ways that that meant that we were getting we been getting quite a lot of business coming through um, and that's meant that we've had to uh, you know the furlough scheme has been used minimally by us really but we appreciated the fact that it was there again like like as Zoe had said uh, we weren't prepared to take on the loans because this was a, an overall position in terms of looking to the future of the company and where we want and our viability as a commercial entity um, and we didn't need it um, and uh, we or should I say we didn't think it was appropriate for us to take it given where we wanted to go and I think that was a, a right decision but the, the fact that it was there I'm sure would have helped a load of other businesses so in in many ways I think yeah what the government's done has been extremely helpful uh, it may not have impacted that much on us but we can see how it and appreciate how it has impacted on others. Thank you and moving on what do you feel was the single biggest impact of the pandemic so far? The economy, obviously, where you're constantly keeping an eye on it because it's going to affect the uh, the way businesses uh, invest. And one of the issues we found at the beginning of the of uh, COVID nineteen was that people were um, holding back decisions because they wanted to see how things panned out. And I think as the crisis has gone forward, and people have begun to recognise that this is I, I don't want to use the word new, new normal, but this is what life is at the moment, and that there are decisions that have to be made, and they can't be let, delayed any further, then um, we've seen that investment has been eased a bit. So people are prepared to pay for services, whereas before they may have been a bit reluctant to do so while they try to figure out whether this is the right thing to do. So we've, um, as I said, we've we've seen an uptick in, in interest and certainly a requirement for our type of services um, because people are concerned about their exposure uh, in terms of the new uh, frameworks that they're operating through. Um, so for us, it, it, you know, the economy is something we constantly look at um, uh, it, because it affects our clients and it affects our potential clients. Uh, but at the moment, uh, we seem to be doing okay uh, in terms of generating business and keeping and and providing a service that people want. So, so for us, we uh, if you look at our um, revenue for the year, we had a slight dip um, from kind of like March, April, June, as businesses were maybe putting the brakes on spending or or or, or putting projects on hold while they assess the impact of the pandemic um, and now we're kind of back up to pre-covid uh, levels of revenue however the the impact on the economy is not over yet so for us we will be continuing obviously to to be on high alert really for for future economic challenges um, that that are kind of caused by by the pandemic 
So we've touched upon responding and adapting to the pandemic as an SME. In terms of the next step with regards to recovery, how resilient do you both feel heading towards the end of the year? So this kind of ties in with the last question. Um, for, for us, we, we as a business, we um, don't have long running revenue streams. So we are always, um, we're always in a position where we need to close the next project um, in order to be to be viable as a business. So in some ways that that makes it feel a bit precarious, but in other ways, we've been doing this now for 20 years. So we are resilient as a business um, and we just perhaps will need to work a bit harder than normal um, given the economic situation. I think um, one thing that this uh, crisis has done is accelerate um, the digitization of businesses. Uh, so we're seeing a, a, a significant move towards cloud, for example. Um, uh, one business uh, the other day told me that uh, their digital transformation program was uh, enacted in three weeks, something that would have taken them five years in the past. Uh, and that's simply because they had to move uh, in a crisis very quickly. Um, and of course, that has brought um, risks to businesses which we are able to help with. So I think if anything, um, this crisis has um, has has focused minds on security on our particular area um, and made people understand how important it is because they've seen the problems that come when they they don't build it in initially. So we feel pretty resilient, but of course, um, I have to um, you know, put this into context that we just don't know where the economy is going. The picture doesn't look particularly brilliant. As Zoe has said, uh, the worst may be still around the corner um, for us. Um, and we also don't know uh, what's going to happen in terms of um, you know, the virus itself, whether we're going to get a second wave and what impact that will have overall on the economy and on, on our markets. So um, so we can only feel as optimistic uh, as uh, as we can. I mean, business is, is, as I said, is doing well at the moment, but there are so many uncertainties uh, looking into the future. Thank you, Tarquin. A broader question for you both, but one that's likely to be of interest to plenty of tech SMEs. So what's been the biggest learnings from the pandemic for you or your business? Expect the unexpected. <laughs> there are always going to be challenges that you don't see coming, always. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would think um, pe businesses, uh, including our own, should make sure that they don't pay lip service to business recovery, um, disaster recovery and business continuity plans. Um, something can happen to you completely left of field which can which can be devastating for your business if you're not prepared for it. So in many ways, that's the biggest lesson uh, that we've learned from that. What do you see as being key to recovery for SMEs operating in the tech sector? Well, I, I would have thought that the tech sector is in a in a in a better position than a lot of other sectors in the economy. Uh, you know, we're as I said, we're seeing a a shift towards digitization, which is can only be good news for the tech to the tech sector as a, at large. Um, so, um, you know, there is there are there are opportunities out there. 
um, there are opportunities in providing services to organisations that got that have got to modernise and got, got to change and adapt to these new times. And the tech sector is in a pretty good position to benefit from that. And I think, um, as always with business, flexibility and adaptability are key. So the parts of the tech sector that will be suffering will be the parts that are serving, because tech is only ever an enabler, it's not an end in itself. So if you're um, working on a piece of technology that's enabling the retail industry, for example, uh, or the hospitality industry, um, you're likely to be suffering along with your clients. So where you can adapt and um, and reuse your your products or services in a different environment, um, that will be absolutely key. A final question, and one that hopefully guides us towards finishing on a light note. In different ways, you've both spoken of your resilience and adaptability in responding to the pandemic. Have you any messages of advice or positivity for our listeners? I think the the uh, the positivity is that, or the positive side of this is, there will be opportunities coming out of this that we must be able to adapt to and exploit, um, and that um, we need to, as Zoe said, adapt to what we have in front of us. I think that the most important point, whenever uh, you're running a business and there is any kind of significant challenge is to remember that leaders are forged in a crisis and actually the process that you and the learning that you will and and the pain i guess that you'll go through as a leader is going to be so valuable to your business in the future um you know uh, as tarkman says as the economy picks up you will be in a better position to take advantage of that because of the challenges that you have been through now. So business is a long game, it's not a short-term game. Um, And I think particularly if you're an SME, uh, you're very aware of that. It's not about, it's not just about, you know, the next quarter's results, it's about what you're building um, for the long-term and that's important to remember. Thanks both. I think there's some really excellent thoughts and messages for our members and listeners there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tech UK podcast and to Zoe Cunningham of Softwire and Tarkman Follis of Reliance ACSN for their time and insights. To learn more about Tech UK and how we work with and support our SME members, visit techuk.org. Finally, London Tech Week is just around the corner, taking place from 1st to 11th of September. Tech UK is proud to once again be a strategic partner. Please visit our website to see our full range of events, activities and speaking slots across London Tech Week. This year's event takes place virtually, so take a look and get involved. Until next time, thanks for listening.